At Federal, we have products for every season and every pursuit. Our passionate and dedicated teams design, build, and deliver the world's best American-made ammunition, whether you're hunting, target shooting, or defending yourself and family. Our pride and hard work can be found in every box, ammo can, or bottle of ammunition. For us, it's always in season. It's federal season. All right, welcome to Federal Ammunition's podcast. It's federal season. I'm Jason Vanderbrink, president of Federal and CCI and Spear Ammunition, along with Jason Nash, who's our vice president of marketing. This is our 14th episode of the podcast. Today, we've had great conversations on topics including bullet selection for big game. We've had some fun talking waterfall with Chad Belding and told the historic story of a police officer's survival following a life-threatening attack with Bill Gray. Today's podcast may be the most important discussion we've had to date, though. Yeah, today, we're honored to have Colleon Noir, lawyer, Second Amendment advocate, and shooting enthusiast joining us talk about the surge in gun ownership and the important election just days away. Colleon, we did uh, quick research on the impact you have in the industry as an influencer. On your website, you state that I am unapologetically a gun enthusiast. In today's culture, where others are quick to block you based on one's beliefs, does this give you any pause? Um, it, you know, no, when you say it gives me pause, in, in what sense? Do you mean in terms of, do I think it's a little too, too in your face for me to be unapologetic? Yeah, I mean, you are, you, you are a strong, strong advocate for the Second Amendment and very vocal on that. In today's culture, sometimes it is so divisive. What do you think of that? I think when people need, I, I think when people initially up front, it, it kind of takes people back a little bit because a lot of people don't really, a lot of people think that we've advanced past the necessity for firearms above and beyond maybe hunting. And, and even then they even look at hunting as a bit of an antiquated endeavor. That being said, as 2020 has demonstrated <laughs> um, with, with, with magnificent fervor, uh, you know, we aren't as insulated from chaos as we think we are. And so what I think is starting to happen now is that there are a lot of people who are starting to realize, okay, maybe the firearm does have a more of a major place and space in my life. And not only is it a major space, it's one of the most important aspects probably to my life because when, 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 when it hit the fan or when it, when we thought it was going to hit the fan or even not that we're saying we're out of, you know, that possibly happening. You know, the first thing I thought about was, all right, what do I need to do to keep myself safe? And for a lot of those people, the first thing, the very first thing instinctively that they did was go to the gun. And then they said, okay, I need to get a gun to protect myself. I can't think of, they didn't, they didn't think about, oh, I need to go get a new iPhone. Oh, I need to go to Starbucks. Oh, I need to go to, to Whole Foods to buy the, no, they thought, let me go and get a firearm. That in and of itself demonstrates the level of importance that being not only as a gun enthusiast, or being a firearm owner, but being a two-way advocate, how important that is. And immediately they start to understand the importance of the Second Amendment from a, from an, uh, from a constitutional standpoint, more so, more so than just the, how does this just fit into my daily life aspect? And so initially, as I got a lot of pushback, I got, I got the, are you okay? Is everything going right with you? Are you kind of crazy? Oh, you're a little too extreme for me. You're kind of a nut job. To now it's like, okay, I'm starting to get it. I'm starting to see where you're coming from. They're not completely there yet. And I, and I think right now what is, is the pivotal time for us to really kind of start cultivating these people so that they understand the importance of it 
and not miss, not mistake passion for insanity. Because I think a lot of people interpret our passion for firearms because when you take the, the importance of it from a self-defense, uh, protection of this country, protection against tyranny, um, and then you couple that with the, the sheer enthusiasm that comes from the recreational side, whether it be hunting, sports shooting, or just general enthusiasm, and you couple those two together, that's a lot of passion. And that can be a lot for a lot of people who haven't really gone down that road yet. And so when they encounter it for the first time, it seems a little intense. Um, because I'm not only protecting something that I think is vital to this country, but it's also something that I love in terms of bringing joy to my life. So that, that's a passion that can be a little bit much for a lot of people. But as they get, as, but I'm, what I'm starting to see is there is a shift where people are starting to understand it. Like one of my good friends said, best way to protect this right is to create gun owners. Well, that's exactly what 2020 did. Um, and so right now, what I think we need to do is kind of shape and mold and cultivate those, those new gun owners to become the next advocates. In, in terms of protecting the Second Amendment. I sit on the board of NSSF, and and uh, we just released a deal that says we had, there's 5 million new owners really since the beginning of the calendar year. And I think the great long-term longevity of our industry is a lot of those owners are females, and a lot of those owners are people of color. Yeah. Which our industry greatly needs. We You know, we're more like America now. Yeah. What do you recommend to the new gun owners and also to bring bring new shooters into the industry, into the sport, not less not not necessarily pamper them, but show yeah. them that the industry is we're we're really not a bunch of extremists. We're actually we like to go out to the gun range, we like to have protection for our family. How do we how do we cater to those new owners? I think a lot of it has to do with messaging. Um and and, and, I, and I'm with you. I, I'm not really big on pandering. Um, you know, the other side does that a lot and they do it really well. Unfortunately, it's actually effective for them in a lot of ways. Um, you couple ignorance and then pandering, and then you throw in a little bit of fear in there. You can, you can get people to believe and do just about anything, even if it means voting against their self-interest. Um, and I think a lot of it is, is messaging and there is a fine line to walk. It's, 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 it's difficult. It's admittedly so it's going to be incredibly difficult. It's not as easy as people think because you could go too far from the standpoint of just pandering and it becomes alienating almost. And I think a lot of the Democrats, from the, not to go political, but that's what I'm starting to see in a lot of ways as far as the way the Democrat Party is handling this particular election. They're starting to alienate a lot of people who would kind of largely blindly vote, vote for them because of this overt pandering, but it's empty. Um, and, I, and I think the best way that we could be as welcoming as possible without crossing that line of becoming panderers um, is, is, is to just be open to have conversations, difficult conversations, um, and not, not, not necessarily even be afraid to, and, and I don't mean have difficult conversations from the standpoint of saying, okay, yeah, I just agree with every, every single aspect of what you're telling me, but to be open to those conversations, not just shut them down, um, or pass, or be too quick to pass judgment due to somebody's ignorance, because I, I, even, I'm even uh, guilty of this in a lot of ways. Um, I've been in this for almost 15, 15 years now. So there's so much information that I've amassed that I sometimes forget that what I consider to be very kind of basic level understanding stuff is completely new age to a lot of people, especially new gun owners. And so in having conversations with them sometimes and some of the, the way I may respond to some of the questions, I, I kind of have to put on a bit of a filter or at least put on a different cap and, and bring myself back to when I first learned about firearms and put myself back in the shoes of the same Cole on the wall 
when he first went to that gun range for the very first time and shot that gun for the very first time and understand what was going through my head at that moment. Um, it, it's, it's easy because we're so polarized now to kind of engage in this level of dismissive owned kind of commentary. And what I'm starting to see a lot too, even on my pages is I have a lot, especially ever since going on Joe Rogan, I ain't gotten a massive amount of people who have started following me. And a lot of these people are liberal, openly, very left. And not that, and I don't say that as a pejorative, I say that from the standpoint of understanding that within the culture now, the way the gun industry has always been, it's always been, it's always had a conservative slant. That's just kind of the way it's been. So now you're getting a lot of these people who are very liberal, who are now a little bit more open to the idea of firearm ownership. And they're thinking to themselves, okay, well, I have a gun now, but I'm still very liberal in a lot of ways. But then also, they're not as – I'm a hardliner. And I, I always tell people that when I'm talking to them and having conversations about the issue. I'm a hardliner. So right now, my goal is to convert you and make you what I am now. <laughs> um, for a lot of people, they feel, okay, I've gotten a gun. Since I have a gun, no one's going to take the gun. I'm okay. Now, I can still vote the exact same way I did before. Or they have this mindset, okay, well, I have the gun, but maybe we need to, you know, we can have some more laws that make it a little bit harder and so forth and so on. And that's just not the case. We all know that because we've been in this battle uh, for for the longest time. I'm actually working on a script right now uh, for a video called Why Are Gun Owners So Annoying? And, and in it, I talk about the fact that we're so annoying because we it's like it's like fighting in a war and then having a fresh a fresh group of, uh, of, of troops come in. And the guy, you know, they're, they're wide-eyed and ready to go. And then you got the guy who's basically been on the front line for the last six months. And he's looking at his kids. He's like, oh, here we go. You know, he's, he's seen the realities of what war really is. We in the gun industry, in the gun community, we've seen the realities of what fighting for this right is. We know the deception and everything involved and try to undermine it. And now you have these new group of people coming in, and, they, and they're very optimistic. They think that, okay, well, this person... For instance, Joe Biden said he doesn't want to take guns. He just wants to make it a little bit harder for criminals to get guns. Well, we've had that conversation for almost 10, 15 years now. We know the stats. We know the figures. We know it all. So for us, we're like, like stop being so naive. We, we kind of just want to smack him across the face. I'm like, just stop. We can't smack him across the face because it's going to be it's going to be disconcerting and it's going to push him away. And we need those people to become advocates. So I, I took the long route to basically say is – we have to be willing to have the uncomfortable conversations, meaning not necessarily just about race or anything like that, but also even the very basic fundamental aspects of firearm ownership that we take for granted. Be willing to have those conversations patiently uh, because there are a lot of people who are literally just just now getting into this and they know nothing. They literally know nothing. Um, and so but, in, but even then, from that standpoint, um, just be genuine. Legitimate. I don't think I don't think we need to fake anything. I don't think we need to force anything. Um, I've never been one to really do that. Be who you, be who you are, but treat every single person with dignity and respect. And I think that will go a long way in terms of speaking to these new generation of gun owners. And then with respect to the race component, I think just having, of course, there's a fine line again between presenting and showing. Because I know a lot of people, at least, and I can only speak for the black community because you know I am black. Um, I know that a lot of them just don't see a lot of themselves in some of the frontward facing media and print and so forth and so on, which to me makes large sense because the demographic of most gun owners are not black. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense from a marketing standpoint. But I think for them, 
they they want to feel welcome. People don't really want to be a part of something where they feel like they're just being tolerated instead of being accepted. And even if it's not the case that the people in the group, in particular group, aren't just tolerating you, it's just it's just kind of like, well, we, we accept everyone. So it's a kind of given. It's like, you're like, I don't, I don't need to tell you, oh, I love all the black people. I love all minorities. It's just kind of a given for me. I think just being a little bit more in tune with the, the particular sensitivities that some of the people have coming in, not saying coddle or baby, just understand the perspective so that you can kind of, so you can have the conversations from that dynamic, in, in a dynamic, in such a dynamic way that you can talk to people and have them understand like, look, I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you do. As long as long as we both believe in the same things from the standpoint of protecting this right, you you do be do you be you. I I I like you because you like the things that I do, some of the things that I do, and vice versa. And we're gonna all enjoy this right together. Um, and that's by and large what my experience has been. But a lot of it was by me just kind of being headstrong and just kind of diving right into it. While a lot of my friends were like, "Well, you know that you're not gonna be very accepted." And I was like, "I don't care." But that was just my personality. Not a lot of people are like that. So yeah. I think just being willing, willing to have those open conversations and uncomfortable conversations would do would do wonders as far as bringing a lot more people into the fold or not even bringing them in, letting them know, hey, this is open. Come on in. Yeah, I think this for us as an industry, this we we are this is an inflection point of our industry to to be more open and to get get uh, women and you know minorities into this industry, which we've needed for so long. Now they're here. Now we just gotta you know, teach them, you know, that, Hey, we're, we're common sense people. We're, we're traditional yeah. people. And really that, you know, all of the stereotypes that they may have heard about gun owners are just false stereotypes. Yep. So I think we really need to, to make sure that we, uh, we embrace this because it's, it is exactly what the industry needs. Yeah. And to that point with the amount of new shooters, you got the United States carry association. We have the NRA, what what do you recommend training and educating all these new users with? Oh boy, <laughs> um, I, I I think I think it needs to be it it really needs to be a collective of sorts because there's so many there's so many entryways and points that people can come in at shooting. Like for instance, my my first entry point was by way of a good friend of mine, and then from there, the internet, YouTube served as a beautiful gateway um, for me in terms of learning and understanding stuff. Now. That's just my personality. I'm naturally inherently going to seek out information once I, I delve into something. For other people, it's they need somebody who can kind of guide them, hold their hands a little bit. So, you know, like being able to say, have somebody point, having a, uh, an aggregation of information that says, hey, are you looking for this type of training? Go here and do it. You can go here to get this type of training or you can go here to get this type of training. Um, unfortunately, I think the biggest roadblock and biggest hurdle that we're going to run into is just the inherent expense involved in shooting. Yeah, it's not cheap. <laughs> you know, it's not at all. Um, by the time you, just the cost of entry alone can be a little daunting for a lot of people. And then from there, you take into account the continuation of buying enough ammo to be able to go out and train and then find trainers and then paying for that. Those are things that I think that, I think as a community, um, we really got to sit down and think about how do we find ways to alleviate that um, that, that barrier, because it's, it's, it's costly, um, for a lot of people to go past the point of just, I bought a gun and here I am. Right. And, and then, do, and then doing nothing else with it. But I am seeing what I am seeing and what I'm loving. And the beautiful thing about social media is what it's doing is it's, it's allowing people 
to now be introduced to a wide range of different trainers, different organizations, like you mentioned, the NRA, USCCA, things like that. It, it does. It, it, I can't begin to express the, the incredible benefit that social media has had on the gun industry. And I know a lot of people like to down talk it um, because there are some elements of it that are kind of like, can be annoying, can be exhausting. But the beautiful thing, what it does is it allows us to break past the barrier that the other side has kind of placed around us. It's easy to, it's easy to, um, ah, sorry, I lost word what I was going to say. Um, it's easy to kind of typecast people and, 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 and push them off as being on the fringe and extremists um, when there is no avenue at which to counter the message. And so you can easily ostracize, ostracize an entire community of people and then the, well, the bullhorns are speaking to the people of masses in the middle and telling them, don't mess with those people. They're crazy. It's easy to do that when you don't have a way to counter that message. What social media has done is allow us to kind of break through that. And so now, even though they're piping that message loud is louder than they ever have before, utilizing our mainstream media to put out this narrative and this message. Now we have social media to counter that message. And now, and what, and what makes us powerful is that we have a lot of people with a lot of, we have a, a good number of people with a large following that can continue that message forward and counter that. And because a lot of these people who are now coming into the community aren't even really getting a lot of their information by way of uh, traditional media, now we have a captured audience of sorts. And it was something that I had to actually take into account when, um, when I started to pick up the tons of people that I was getting from the middle. Um, you know, people who were, people don't realize my, my largest audience is in California. And so a lot of these people have very left-leaning ideologies, but then are in the guts. Yeah. And so sometimes, so I have to be very cognizant of how I talk about the political side of things as well, the political elements of the firearm conversation. Um, because a lot of times they can see me as like, I, 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 they're like, why are you always attacking Democrat politicians? I'm like, and I have to do it. I'm like, because they're the ones that are pushing for gun control but they haven't been following the conversation. So they don't know that. So they just see it as me saying, okay, well, everybody who, everybody who has a gun now has to be super ultra conservative. You all have to vote for Trump and that's it. With them not realizing, all I'm saying is no, I'm, I'm going to address the people and politics who are trying to inherently undermine this right. And I can't help the fact that the vast majority of them are Democrats. Totally get that. And as we, yeah. as we gear up with less than 60 days, you appear on many, many talk shows um, that have guests on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. How important, how important is it for you to keep a rational, all fact-based dialogue open as we get ready to uh, elect our president here in 60 days or so? It, it's extremely vital. It's extremely vital because it's what we're dealing with now is nobody trusts anyone. No one trusts anyone in terms of the conversation, because what's happening is we're so polarized that if I say anything that's pro-conservative, then I'm just a, I'm, I'm completely and utterly biased towards conservatism. If I say anything that's slightly left-leaning, then I'm completely biased towards liberal, uh, being, being a left, uh, extreme leftist. And so it's a hard balancing act to, to do um, because there are going to be certain slants just based on the nature of the beast. So like we like like we talked about before, the idea, I mean, most of the politicians pushing for gun control are Democrats. But if I can maintain objectivity through facts, after a while, 
you can you can try to label me as oh you're just another right wing hack or grifter or whatever the case you want to call it, but you can't argue with facts. No, and so the hard part is I have to keep saying it often enough <laughs> over and over again so that it sticks. I can't just throw it out once and then keep moving. That's the thing that kind of, that's the hardest part of my job that a lot of people don't realize is I have to constantly find new ways to say the same thing differently. Yeah, and I mean whatever whatever party you you are involved, if you're right wing, you're left wing, you're in the center, facts are the facts and it's always just best especially on emotional issues yep. such as gun control. It's a by and large, it's an emotional issue. Absolutely, facts are—you just can't argue with the facts. So we appreciate what you uh, what you do for our industry. Thanks, Coleon. This this leads nicely into our next segment of its federal season. When we return after a short break, we'll shift gears a little bit and tap into your legal and political expertise. More with uh, Coleon Noir. Stay tuned. Meet the industry's widest variety of game-changing ammunition. However, you shoot. And whatever you hunt, fortune favors the prepared. And nothing prepares you better than Federal Premium. It's a gold standard advantage delivered directly from the experts in premium ammunition. Find your Federal Premium Advantage today. Welcome back to It's Federal Season and our technology segment, Tech Talk. Welcome back to It's Federal Season. I'm Jason Nash along with Jason Vanderbrink and commentator Coleon Noir for a second and very important segment about the protections afforded to all Americans under the Second Amendment to the Constitution. So just a quick uh, primer on, on the Second Amendment. It was passed by Congress on September 25th, 1789 and was ratified December 15th, 1791. It's part of the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution which formed the Bill of Rights. The Second Amendment guarantees a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, Coleon, there's been a lot of talk and, and litigation on the Second Amendment for decades. So let's set the record straight on the potential of repeal and enhanced gun control. Is there, is there a legitimate way to repeal the Second Amendment? Yeah, but I think, I think there's a reason why they don't really actually try to do it. And they, and they know they don't have the means to do it. They just don't. And so, and, and I think a lot of people undervalue and underestimate the importance of the masses. And, and I say that quite a bit because a lot of people, and because the, the, the popular train of thought right now is that voting doesn't matter. Um, that I'm starting to see from a lot of people. And then political nihilism is incredibly easy considering how polarized we are right now. Um, but what I think a lot of people fail to understand is that I'm not even talking about voting just on a national level, but even on local levels. And because a lot of those have a direct consequence to what's been going on, what will directly impact your life or your ability to exercise that right on a personal level, on a day to day basis. Um, so I do think, though, that is their ultimate goal. I just think I think I think for I think for us, I think, no, you know, I can't say that. What I was going to say was, you know, I think we tend to underestimate what their ultimate goal is. And I, I can't say that with any, with any honesty. I think we do. I just think a lot of other people don't realize how persistent they are at trying to achieve it. So I think they, they really do want to repeal the second amendment. I mean, I, I put up a post not too long ago where I, it was, a, it was an aggregation of different articles where they were talking about, it. I think it's time to repeal the second amendment. Um, 
and 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 then that's that's definitely their ultimate goal. All right. Yeah. In talking about repeal in the history of the United States, there's only been one amendment to the U.S. Constitution that actually was repealed: the 18th Amendment, which prohibited alcohol. So yeah, yeah, odds are pretty long on that. But um, you know, with the historical difficulty in in repealing an amendment, what do you think other enhanced gun control measures uh, are that that we face as we come into this election? All right. I think the most dangerous one. Most dangerous one is the I always forget the, uh, the the abbreviation of the I call it placa or something like that. It's like the protections and arm and firearms. I can't remember exactly the name of it. Basically, essentially, it's it's what insulates the gun the gun industry from being sued to death. Yeah, the co- the commerce uh... the, the the commerce exactly yeah. protection of, of commerce and arms. Yep. Um, to me, that is the most one of the most dangerous aspects of what I think Joe Biden is trying to do. Because uh, from from my vantage point, understanding the amount of money involved and in trying cases and, and and seeing what can be done by burying people in discovery, so forth and so on, or using it as a way to have people give up information or secrets that they don't want to do, um, I think it's incredibly dangerous. Because once you can lock an entire industry down in 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 in, in an illegal battle. I mean, I don't know. I don't have to spell it out to you guys what that can do to you guys' ability to continue to function. <laughs> um, and and I think that's one of the biggest, most dangerous aspects of what Joe Biden is trying to do, which is trying to repeal that act uh, so that it leaves the gun industry as a whole completely and utterly exposed. And and they understand what they're doing. It was it was from its very genesis. It was designed to weaken the industry. And so, to me, I think that's what that's one of the most dangerous aspects of what we might we might face with a uh, um, with a with a Biden presidency and a democratically controlled Congress. Yeah, definitely a risk. Uh, what about mandatory buyback programs? They talk about that a lot, especially as it relates to ARs, the MSR, the modern sporting rifle. You know, a lot of people think that when it comes to buyback, because we, we watch them systematically do this. We watch them go from a more extreme language and they'll test that language. They do it all the time. They'll test certain language and then they'll say, okay, well, no, no, we got we got to back off on that one a little bit because they're kind of seeing what we're trying to do, and so it goes from you know let's let's have a buyback to uh you know a mandatory buyback to a buyback. I think what could happen, and the reason why I think it's feasible is because all they really have to do they don't have to go door to door, they just have to play on people's fear of prosecution. If they can say you need to turn these in or else, a lot of people will do it. I think a lot of people think that the idea of 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 um, confiscating firearms is a zero-sum game, meaning like they need to get every single one of them. They don't. They just have to get a lot of them or enough of them. And so what it'll do is it you tell people, if you don't turn in your firearms by this date, this is what's going to happen. There are going to be a lot of people who do turn them in. And then there are going to be a lot of people who are going to roll the dice and say, I'm not turning anything and you're going to have to come get me. Right? And then once people start getting arrested, then that changes the conversation. Every, you know, in, At that point, everyone's big and bad. Or as Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so, you know, so like you don't turn in your guns and then all of a sudden, four months later, your neighbor, Jerry, is getting called off by ATF and thrown in jail. And then they put out another thing that says, all right, we've arrested some of y'all. Y'all don't turn these guns in. We'll be coming after y'all. You know, then you just you, as long as you, they can personalize the consequence. I think it could very well happen, which is why I push back against it so hard. Um, I think there are some people who get pacified by it and think, oh, okay, well, 
it's just it's just a gun fight that like, like people have to understand and like even from the standpoint of a non-mandatory buyback so in joe biden's plan his buyback is not mandatory allegedly right mm-hmm. and for at least from what i've read what it is is it's either you turn your you either sell your guns back to us or if you decide to keep them you register them as an NFA, NFA item right which essentially does what creates a registry which inevitably will be used to do what confiscate <laughs> that, that, that's all it is it's just it's so circular and so blatant to us but to a lot of people they don't see that because otherwise what's the point why why bother even giving us the option if you don't have an ulterior motive so you don't want the guns in the street to begin with, but you're willing to let us leave them in the streets as long as we register them? How, does, how is that supposed to affect crime in any way? It doesn't. The whole point of it is so that they can track it and so that when they establish the other aspect of their plan, which is, which is inevitably to, ha- to enforce now a mandatory buyback, because as we all know, it's just only going to take one or two shootings with, with, a, with a registered AR-15 for them to say, all right, we've got to do something. And they're patient. They're willing, they're willing to play the long game. That's the thing. They will wait us out and they will keep pushing and pushing. That's why, that's why Feinstein has a new assault weapon ban every two years. She's on, she's, she's knocking on death's door and she's still pushing this. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you've you've almost, you know, right. You almost got to admire the tenacity, but that's, but, but it's, that's the lust for power. It knows no end. Same thing with Bloomberg. Bloomberg, for all I, for all I know, is dead. He's just he's he's found the elixir of life somewhere, and he's just struggling to get by. But I mean, I mean the the level of dedication that this man commits and the amount of money he commits. I mean, the man just threw the amount of money he spent on his presidential campaign on his own is enough to change the lives of three people, and he pissed it away like it was nothing. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Literally, like it was nothing. And so you, you have to think about how adamant they are at doing this, you know, and, and it's, it, and I'm laughing, but it's, a, it's slightly terrifying. But, but by and large, I, I think, I think if, if it pacifies enough people and people are willing to accept it, I do think it's possible that we can go from a, okay, here's a buyback, but then register them as an NFA item and then onto a mandatory buyback. Then, uh, then it's a outright confiscation. What do you think, what are some actions that gun owners can take, especially these new people coming in and, and purchasing firearms to ensure mm-hmm. that we continue to guarantee those rights? So I think first things first, we've, we've got to let our voices be heard. I'm, also, I'm, also, I'm actually working on another script um, titled um, The Importance of Open Carry. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and, he, and, and we were talking about open carry and a light went off. And, and then you guys, this may not be like that enlightening to you guys. You probably are like, oh, yeah, dumb, 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 dummy. Um, the, it, open carry symbolically is, is more meaningful, is more meaningful to, to the protection of the Second Amendment symbolically than anything else. And, and here's the, the point I'm getting at. Imagine the protest in Virginia with no guns. When they were when they were protesting those potential gun those those, those uh, anti gun measures that were coming through, and you had those people there who did have firearms, it completely undermines the 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 almost validity of the protest. A two way protest without firearms is kind of laughable. You have to see them. It says something totally different. 
you take a group of largely white men and you stand them in, you you put them in you put them in the city's town square and you say they're protesting the Second Amendment rights. What are they going to do? They're going to dismiss you and call you right wing fanaticals who are MAGA Trump loving racist. You put guns in their hands. It's a totally different conversation. No, this is this is a two a protest. Don't try to dismiss us. Don't try to ostracize us. And that's it. This is a two way protest. So I think being more vocal about the Second Amendment about and I don't necessarily mean you, know, you don't have to be me. You don't have to turn on a camera and just run your mouth every every other day about two, about two A rights. But have those conversations with people that you know. Don't hide your firearm ownership. It's more acceptable now than I think it's ever been before. Well, no, I can't say that. But in recent history. Yeah, it's kind of so like getting, I think, it's kind of like getting over that initial fear of using the firearm. I mean, that's a big obstacle for a lot of people yeah. too. It's, so get over the the hump on conver- on talking about what it means. No, and I, and I agree with you totally, hundred percent, because I have the same thing with me. Because initially, I hit it, I hit, I hit, hit everything. I was buying guns left and right. Again, I don't know where the money came from, but <laughs> I was buying guns. I was buying right guns out of left law and school. Right. I know, right? It's probably probably why I have six figures in loans. But <laughs> it's not the education; it's the gun bills. <laughs> I'm just like now. I'm paying them loans. Like here, look, just I'll pay the max. Just here. <laughs> but so as as the as the podcast is is going to be released a few days before the election, what what message do you have for gun owners? The biggest message I have for gun owners is, is, is understanding, one, the importance of the Second Amendment. You have to understand and fundamentally under, truly understand the importance of the Second Amendment. You went out at your most vulnerable time. When you were at your most vulnerable, the first thing you thought about was getting a gun. All rationale, ideology, everything went out the window. The first thing you thought was to get a gun. That is how important the Second Amendment is. Don't question. You didn't think about, oh, my right to speech. Let me get on social media and type out how I feel. You thought, let me go when the fires were burning and people were running in the streets and they were destroying things. And you had a pandemic that was plaguing all of America and the world at that. The first thing you thought to do was to go out and buy a firearm to protect yourself. It doesn't get any more important than that. So anybody who so so when you go out and you decide to vote, whoever it is you decide to vote for, understand what you are truly voting for and who is actually going to do something in your favor or against your favor as far as the thing that you hold most valuable, which is the protection of your life. And you use the firearm to do it. And so the way that we vote in this country is so incredibly important. And a lot of people like to come to me and say, oh, well, you just, you just, there's got to be other issues. This can't be the only issue. Yes, it is if we're talking life and death. And when life and death was presented in front of you, you chose you chose the Second Amendment. That's what I think people should go out there and do this election cycle. They that's should a, vote the gun. That's a great <laughs> message. And in one last question, it's been about ten years since the Supreme Court heard a Second Amendment case since uh, the McDonald case. So, what do you, should should the public read into that that they haven't? That there's been lots of cases. You know, we had the New York case, which they. Uh, they they didn't decide because New York fixed the law. But what what do you is, do you read into not taking a Second Amendment case as good or bad to back up Heller and McDonald? Man, me and my friend have had that conversation at nauseum. <laughs> <laughs> um, I initially thought Ginsburg was the issue. I thought I thought her health issues probably preclude you know kind of 
gave them a kind of perfect excuse not to really take any of those, those, those 10 cases that they were going to take. Um, then, he, you know, then there are some people who are like, no, they're intimidated. They don't want to deal with the money of New York. I can't by any stretch of the imagination see it as a good thing. I just can't um, because it's so blatantly clear what the Second Amendment is. Anyone who's gone to law school understands that. Anyone who's gone to law school or is an attorney and reads the Second Amendment and comes up with this notion that it's for the militia or any other interpretation that doesn't that that that, that basically gives an excuse to undermine what it stands for is engaging in an insurmountable level of mental gymnastics to basically lie. So them not taking the case or taking any other Second Amendment cases tells me they don't want to deal with the controversy. They don't. They don't want to take it upon themselves to actually make a decision that will literally change the entire course of this country. So I can't see that now. They may have the reasons that may be good, but I can't see overall it being a positive thing, especially considering we don't know What's going to happen here during the election? We, we could have a complete flip. Mm-hmm. Once they do that and they get rid of the filibuster and so forth, we're screwed. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a, uh, it's an enlightening podcast and uh, we are, we are very grateful to have such a staunch supporter of the second amendment on this for uh, it's federal season. So Colian from, uh, from your team at federal and our 3000 employees, we thank you for what you do. And uh, we, 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 it, it is great to have such a, uh, advocate for our industry, for our constitution, and uh, we wish you well. We'll uh, certainly stay in touch. And and again, thank you for what you do for the industry. Absolutely. Thanks for having me and letting me run my mouth. <laughs> if you like the It's Federal Season podcast, be sure to let us know by filling out a rating and review on iTunes. And remember, for us, it's always in season. It's federal season.